When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program brought to you by the team at Radio New Zealand Sport. On this week's show, the all-black Ben Afiaki retires from rugby because of concussion. The New Zealand swimmer Lauren Boyle reveals why she's training in Australia. And the Tall Blacks coach Paul Henare sets his sights on the Olympics. Valerie Adams is nominated for another big award. And the Auckland City Football Club start their campaign to win the Oceania Champions League. The Black Caps coach Mike Hesson selects a new-look team to tour England. And the cricketing great Richie Benno passes away. The All Blacks and Chiefs prop Ben Afiaki has retired from rugby due to concussion. Afiaki has not played since a head clash with a teammate during a Super Rugby game in February last year. The 27-year-old's been plagued by headaches, nausea and moodiness ever since and says he's retiring in the interests of his health. Afiaki told Max Toll about his decision. A bit of relief uh, today, um, telling the media and, and getting it out there feels like a massive uh, weight's off my shoulder and uh, now I can start the process of moving on and um, looking forward to a, to a healthy life. The decision, has it been coming over the last few weeks or months or was it sort of a sudden thing? Uh, I guess it was always on the cards. So I guess since it first happened last year, the start of last year, of, until a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, had, a, had a full confidence that I returned to play and, um, and you know, I'd get rid of all my symptoms and, and uh, get back on the footy field. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, while the boys were in Africa, I was really picking up my training. You know, I still had minor symptoms, so I went and saw a specialist to see how you know how it's tracking, and they did some tests. And from the information that was uh, given to me, obviously I made the decision not to return to play because of the the risk factor of getting another head knock and um, you know not being able to recover fully. As I take it, your teammates have offered you support. Have you got any other messages from maybe even surprising sources? What's the feedback been like? The feedback's been overwhelming. Uh, everyone's been really supportive. To be honest, I've been getting a lot of texts of um, you know people saying you know good things, and they're glad I made the decision to live a you know a healthy life over over putting myself at risk again. And uh, it's all been overwhelming, and I've had great support throughout the whole the whole uh, ordeal, I guess. And I guess it's time to move forward. Yeah. So the decision itself, I mean, was the doctor literally telling you you can't play or, or was it your own, or did you drive that decision to say, look, my health is more important? What I was trying to do was gather as much information as I could. A lot of it was black and white, so it made the decision a lot easier. But at the end of the day, it was my decision and um, and I made it for the right reasons to be able to return to full health in the next short, short-term period. And obviously I talked to my, my friends and family that are closest to me I told them the decision, and they were all really supportive. Just telling them was probably the hardest thing, especially the boys. But uh, once I told them, it felt like another weight was off my shoulders, and um, they were really supportive. I guess it was a little bit emotional, but it's a massive chapter in my life, and uh, you know, I'll forever be grateful for the friends I've made and that I'll, I'll have for life as well. Have you spoken to any other players who've had head issues? Uh, yes, I have. I've spoken to um, Tom Chamberlain, uh, Shane Cleaver, 
they all had similar problems and uh, no longer playing rugby and and uh, they're a lot the same, you know. After making the decision, uh, a lot of the, the pressure was relieved off them. Do you think, uh, you know, in a while you'll look back and how will you feel about what what you accomplished in rugby? Oh, mate, I'll, I'll be proud when I look back. Um, I've achieved a lot of, uh, of great things with, with North Harbour Chiefs, uh, NZ Maldives and the All Blacks. And uh, for me, it's, it's uh, you know, I live with no regrets. Whenever I went on the field, I gave it my all and... Uh, to be honest, the most important, important thing I'll take is all the friendships and uh, all the things I've learned about team culture and, and living you know, within a, in a community and uh, doing everything for a community that you can. So it's been a really awesome experience and um, you know, I'll, I'll take my, what I've learned and put into my future life. How do you think uh, the best way to tackle the concussion issues is going forward? Do you think enough is done? I mean... Oh, mate, to be honest, though, I've, uh, they've been outstanding. NZIU, uh, Chiefs, and all the medical uh, advice that I've, that I've seeken has been outstanding. They haven't um, once put any pressure on me to play, so um, I you know, take my hat off to them. And um, I was really fortunate that you know I was in an environment that they could fully look after me like they have. Ben Afiaki played 36 games for the Chiefs, eight matches for the Māori All Blacks, and one test for the All Blacks. The country's best swimmer, Lauren Boyle, is reaping the benefits of skipping the dysfunctional swimming New Zealand setup to train in Australia. The 27-year-old clocked the fastest 1,500-metre freestyle time of the year at the Australian National Championships last week, as well as the second-fastest time in the 400 metres. Boyle says she's embraced Australia's training system, which she hopes will make her competitive with the American multiple world record holder, Katie Ledecky. She's working with the Australian national coach Dennis Cottrell as she warms up for the New Zealand national champs next week. Boyle told Richard Wayne her early season form's encouraging. Yeah, it's great to have a, one of the top times. I guess <laughs> it's only the end of March, so there's a lot of time for other swimmers to get faster as well, but yeah, it's a great start to the year. So um, you're pretty much saying it's good early season form, but the real hard work's still to come, and uh, it matters when you're peaking at, the, I guess, the world champs. Yeah, I think it's um, it's really valuable to peak twice in a year for swimming, especially because it gives you that chance to improve twice instead of just making one big improvement later in the year. So I feel like I've got a good place to build from now, and if I can go faster later in the year, that would be fantastic. So, what are your goals for this year? Are you going for? You must be going for medals and preferably gold at the World Champs, I guess. Um, yeah, I think like for me, my goals are always to improve my own best times, and if I can do that, I should be in the running for a good position. I have some really tough competitors in my events. One of the most outstanding swimmers, Versa Swim, is excellent at the 800 free and the 400 free, which is what I specialise in at the moment, and she's got those two world records quite substantially so my personal improvement will be something that I'm really striving for and always have done and that's probably the best feeling I can get. You say you can't do any better than that can you? No I think personal satisfaction is always like the best satisfaction you know when you think you do more than you think you're capable of or you surprise yourself and improve to levels that you never really imagine that's like the best feeling ever and I think it's what most athletes dream of. And you say you're working out with a coach based on the Gold Coast, is uh, that an ongoing situation? What's your current coaching setup? 
Well, it's been quite tumultuous for the last few months with all the changes in sewing New Zealand. I went to the Gold Coast in November to try and get some stability in my coaching and I've been swimming with Dennis Cotterill who has been coaching at the Miami Club for years and he's an excellent middle and long distance coach so been really lucky to work with him. Yeah, it's it's been pretty hard planning process. Is, is he likely to be the man to take you to the World Champs then? Uh, I th- well, to be honest, I'm not really sure I think so, but it's not completely easy to go and swim in Australia. They've been really nice and let me swim there until now, and I, I think they're going to continue to allow me to swim there, but it's not a guaranteed thing, so it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess the situation with swim, swimming NZ has been uh, a bit tumultuous, as you say, you know, for a while now. Uh, you think it's heading for the improve with the current... You know, happenings. I really couldn't tell you what's going to happen. I don't know. <laughs> Lauren Boyle. The swimming world championships are in Russia in late July. The New Zealand men's basketball coach Paul Henare says winning August's Olympic qualifying series with Australia is the Tall Blacks' best chance to play in the 2016 games. The winner of the two-match Oceania Championship Series will gain a place in Rio, while the loser will have to go through next year's qualifying repercharge. Australia could produce the strongest ever Boomers team with their seven current NBA players all stating their desire to be involved in the qualifiers. Joe Porter spoke to Henare about the Tall Blacks' road to Rio. There's been a lot of talk about the Olympics next year, but um, for us and myself and the team, you know, there, there are no Olympics without this series. And... Um, this is, uh, you know, our first and probably best opportunity to get there. Um, so we're going to be totally focused on uh, on doing everything we can to, to try and beat the Aussies in the two-game series, which isn't going to be, uh, you know, an easy task by, by any means, but um, but something that we feel that, especially with our, our um, you know, deciding game at home, um, you know, definitely look at that as um, as home court advantage. And how much more difficult does it get to qualify if you, if you miss out on this chance? Yeah, it's hard to put a number on it, but it's, it's definitely, I think, a lot more difficult to, to qualify through the Repercharge tournament than, uh, than than through our Oceania region against Australia. Um, you know, we, we found out how difficult it was when we went to Venezuela a few years back. Um, you know, you, you got teams like um, you know, Greece and Russia and, you know, those top Europeans and, and American nations all battling it out for, for two or three spots. So, uh, you know, if, if it does happen, you know, we'll... we'll um, We'll cross that barrier if it, if it does need to happen, but um, but for now, yeah, we're definitely going to put everything into this Aussie series. Yeah, and the, like you say, the winner of the Australian-New Zealand series later on this year will also get more time to prepare for their Olympic campaign simply by virtue of not having to go through the ripper charges. Yeah, exactly. Um, it allows you to, to, to plan and prepare and, and hopefully secure a bit more funding, which uh, which makes that planning so much more important. So, you know, yet another reason um, you know that, that this series is so important. How strong are you expecting the Australian team to be? Uh, you know, considering how many NBA stars they now have available to them to select, do you think you know most of them will show up for the Boomers? Well, I mean, I have, I have no idea what, what sort of commitment they're going to get, but um, you know, if they have every single player available, um, you know, it could be arguably the best ever Australian team that that anyone's seen. You know, seven guys in the NBA, um, several guys playing in uh, in major leagues in Europe. Um, if they're all available, um, that's a damn damn good squad. squad. I imagine you're probably planning already, but when do you first get together as a group and take your first steps towards that? Yeah, we'll get together around July 8th, um, you know, which gives us just over a month preparation for um, for, for Game 1 um, against Australia. So, 
Um, you know, July 8th we'll get together, we'll, we'll be based in New Zealand for um, sort of 10 or 12 days uh, and then we'll head to Europe for some preparation games and, and back through China for um, for, for another tournament in the Stankovich Cup. So, um, you know, it's a pretty decent preparation in terms of time and, and opposition um, and, uh, you know, a, a time that I, I think will be um, well used and well utilised um, in terms of getting ready for Aussies. The Tall Blacks coach Paul Henneday speaking to Joe Porter. The two-match Olympic qualifying series will be played home and away with the opening game in Melbourne on August the 15th and the return leg in Wellington on the 18th. The New Zealand shot put star Valerie Adams has been nominated for a Laureus World Sports Award after being named the World Athlete of the Year in 2014. The 30-year-old who's heading back to Switzerland to begin training has been recovering from shoulder and arm surgery late last year. Adams says she's aiming to win a third gold medal at next year's Olympics, but first she'll try to win a fifth straight title at the World Athletics Championships in Beijing in August. Richard Wayne spoke with Adams and began by asking her how it would be to win a Laureus Award. It would be pretty amazing, but I'm just like very humbled and honoured to even be there. I'm up against the most one of the a great lineup of, of females who have done so well around the world, like Sir Sabrina Williams. So um, it would just be great to be there and amongst um, such amazing athletes. And you know, I mean, top five female um, sports people in the world is, is pretty awesome. But I'm not only for myself, but also to represent New Zealand. You had this 100% you know, season, despite those arm injuries that mm-hmm. you had. If you're 100% this season, what do you think you might be able to achieve? That's a million dollar question right there. I mean, <laughs> I don't think anybody is ever 100%. That's, that's the problem, you know. I think sometimes as an athlete, and as an older athlete, you're still going to have niggles. But um, for us this year, it's just a matter of making sure that we tick um, every box as we go through um, day by day with... The injuries that I've had, there's lots of rehab, lots of stuff that we've had to change the training and all the rest of it. So every day is a progress, every week is a progress, and you know we're just going to keep that going. And we have time on our hands, so we'll see what, it, what the next few months takes. How's your recovery going from the uh, surgeries? So far, so good. So far, so good. It's been six months post-op now. I can't you know, be upset or about anything, but yes, as an athlete, it is normal to be frustrated because you know we we, we want things to be fixed now today because we're going to compete tomorrow. All the rest of it, but unfortunately, that's just not the reality of it. Um, although um, my team around me is very happy with how things are going, and that's all I've got to be happy about. So I mean, looking forward to going back over to Switzerland and getting into a little bit of uh, routine and uh, normality over there, and just a bit of more time to for myself to rest. So that'll be good. What do you think? Uh, when do you think you'll be you'll be back to that? that level that you know you want to get to again million dollar question i'm not quite sure i can't put a date on it i can't put a time on it but we do have time to, to get back up there my biggest um goal this year is to get to the world champs make sure that we're as prepared as possible as when we get there one thing that i do know with myself is that i would never compete at a competition at 80 percent i always want to go in and make sure that i am you know 100 percent and ready to rock and roll i don't do things half-assed and i'm not going to start doing them now so you're trying to peak for the world champs that's your sort of well that's our goal yeah yeah how do you pace yourself then as you aim to peak for rio as well you've got a sort of a couple of massive mountaintops to climb here i do but it's not like i haven't climbed them before you know this is my fourth olympic games that i'm going for um it is different obviously with with having injuries and surgeries and all the rest of it to consider but in saying that I've got a really good team around me that's you know going to help me do that especially with coach and saying we our goal is to get to Rio regardless of what happens this year our goal is to make sure that at Rio we are you know ready to roll there that is the bigger goal here and um they are big mountains to climb but I, I as I said I have climbed them before this this climb might be just a little bit tougher but I am ready for the challenge. 
You've been doing a bit of work with the next wave of youngsters coming through many time back here. I don't right? even have time to pack my nose. So <laughs> um, it's, you know, I've, I mean, they're around, you know, at training. And if they are there, you know, I, I have a chat to a few of them. We've got, a, you know, amazing athletes coming through like Sosetina Hakiai, the discus rower, Tarina. Um, we've got Tom Walsh's and Jacko, Jacko girls coming up. And I don't really see the boys there, but the girls definitely up at Millennium. And, and that's been good to see them. But, you know, wherever, wherever I can, I um, I help them out. But, you know, as I said, I'm still a full-time athlete and I'm still trying to, to complete my own goals. So it's not the easiest thing because, you know, there's only 24 hours in, in a day and it's, it's all filled up most of the time. How good is it to be an inspiration for that next generation coming through? Um, it's, it's great, you know, if I can, you know, help them um, reach their goals and inspire them to, to become Olympic champions one day and for themselves but also for the country then I've done my job you know so it's just a matter of, of them putting in the hard work and uh, making the I don't like to call them sacrifices but the choices you know they need to be made to, to become on top of the world. That was Valerie Adams talking to Richard Wayne. The Auckland City Football Club joined Team Wellington and Fiji this weekend for the Oceania Club Championships. Two pools of four teams play out the group stage in week one, with the top four sides progressing to the finals the week after. Auckland won the competition last year and went on to take bronze at the Club World Cup in December. They dominated this year's national premiership, winning 14 of their 16 league games before defeating Hawke's Bay in the final. I asked the Auckland City coach, Ramon Trebuliec, to explain the secret to his team's dominance. We do train a lot. We uh, invest a lot of hours in analysing and preparing. The players also, you know, they, they have to combine jobs with uh, training uh, nearly in a full-time basis. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it comes down to hard work. Now, after the team came third at the World Club Championships, were you able to keep the same group of players together? No, we lost a few players. You know, we lost some important players, obviously, after having done so well at the uh, at the club uh, World Cup stage, uh, and a lot of people uh, saw our players perform, and they they liked them. And yeah, we lost a good number of players, but we did our job in behind as well in the background, and we we managed to bring in some very good replacements as well, some domestic replacements and international replacements that helped us keep the uh, standard of players, you know, as high as possible. Those local players that you brought in were they mainly from the Auckland region? Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of everything. I mean, we, one of the last ones is Colin Murphy, who's been playing for Team Wellington in the past, although he was in the in uh, the US last season, you know. So from uh, the whole of New Zealand, some of them, you know, and then some international players from uh, Europe. Let's look ahead to the Oceania Club Championships. And you've got quite a difficult campaign coming up. Three games in, in one week. How do you think the team is going to adjust to the conditions in Fiji? It's going to be a very difficult tournament. We all understand by now how difficult it is to play up in the islands. The game is a bit different. The weather conditions play an important role. Also, the conditions of the surface, we'll have to wait and see what it looks like once we get up there. A lot of games are going to be played on the same stadium, so after a few games, it will not be as good. So there's a lot of factors in there that make this competition uh, very difficult. We've got the experience of having been there in the past few years, you know, having competed up in the islands in the past few years. So most of our players understand uh, how we have to play these games and the uh, tactical readjustments that we normally make. The first game you're playing Suva in Suva, have you been able to do much research on the island teams? 
Yeah, we have, and especially from Suva, because uh, obviously it's the only team we can't watch beforehand. We will be able to watch the other two teams uh, after our first game, so we'll have a clear idea. You know, we'll be able to learn a lot of uh, a lot of things from those two. From Suva, we've managed to get some videos, some of the last games they've played in the uh, national competition, and you know, we've got a good idea of what they look like. Obviously, they might be a little bit different coming down to this O League because. They have brought in some imports, you know, some European imports that we haven't been able to to watch, and and one or two more uh, Fijian players from other clubs have joined the team as well, you know. But we've got a good idea, I think, on on how they want to play the game collectively, and uh, you know, I think I think we will be well prepared uh, for that game. It's going to be a difficult one. They're playing at home in their own stadium in front of their own fans, and obviously that's going to make it even tougher for us. We've seen the success a player like Roy Krishna has had in the A-League. Are you using the tournament as an opportunity to scout for players that you could select for your team? We are competing in the tournament to try and, uh, and win it, you know. That, that's the main aim. If then all of a sudden we understand or we acknowledge that there's one or two players that are very good or could be good for us, you know, we, we might consider it. But obviously it's not one of our targets. This is our most important competition of the season. And we're only focused on, on how we perform, you know, as a team, whether whether we detect a talent or two in there and we decide to bring them in. That's a, that's a different story. You know, you, you, you don't want to obviously close the door to that, but it's not one of our main main things once we get up there. How important is the leadership of Ivan Vesalich in your squad? Yeah, I think, I think, look, I think Ivan is a great leader in terms of how he behaves himself. You know, I think he leads by example. And this is something, especially for young ones, uh, very good. You know, they, they've got a, a great personality in there who uh, they can learn a lot of things from. I mean, his work ethics are fantastic. Uh, he's a very experienced person. And, and the way he behaves himself and he manages himself at training and in the games is very polite and very, very good. So I think, I think he's a great leader, especially for those uh, young ones. And uh, when it comes down to discuss things you know we've got a great relationship and that obviously helps he has been a very important uh, personality in there ever since he got back from Europe and uh, we hope that he will be uh, the same as said to us uh, up in, in Fiji as well. Well can I finally ask you've had great success with this side do you anticipate staying with Auckland or perhaps could you consider other offers? No look at the moment uh, I'm not I'm not really worried about that I'm only worried about the uh, tournament and once the tournament finishes, we'll see what happens. That was the Auckland City coach, Ramon Tribuliec. The cricketer Martin Guptill's been reinstated in New Zealand's test squad for May's Tour of England. Guptill was dropped from international red ball cricket in 2013, but has been recalled on the back of his heroics at last month's One Day World Cup. Several black caps will be arriving late in England due to their commitments in the Indian Premier League, but the New Zealand coach Mike Hesson told Barry Guy that's opened the door for some up-and-coming talent. Part of our high-performance programs, obviously looking at a, a couple of other promising quicks and just see how they react in the environment. So Jake and Duffy and Ben Wheeler will come in there, and, and with Mitchell Satner, um, you know, providing us some sort of all-rounder cover there. It, gives us a chance to have a look at him as well. With the IPL, there is a chance, depending on how far they go, of course, that you might only have a couple of days before the test. Is that correct? The latest the guys would arrive would be the 19th, but there's a, a full round of games there, so people will be trickling in from three or four days prior to that, depending on you know when their team plays. So 
they'd basically get five five weeks um, as part of their contract. And you know, New Zealand cricket is very supportive of that, and um, hopefully keeps players in the game a bit longer. And Martin Guptill back in the uh, the Test squad. Yeah, he is. He's he's certainly forced his hand through performance, you know, in the World Cup, and um, certainly shown, you know, Bruce and myself that he's you know improved in some areas that we've asked him to to go away and work on, and um, he certainly deserves to be back in the squad. And uh, Matt Henry, uh, is that something similar, just with his performances? Uh, well, with James Neesham being injured, and James has been a huge part of us for the last year or so, and a um, big part of our success in Test cricket. So it's a shame that he's out, but uh, it does allow Matt Henry to come in and you know show us what he's got with the red ball. Adam Milner's there, so he's all good. Is- uh, well, Adam's named in the one-day squad. So look, Adam's injury was only ever a sort of a two or three-week injury. It was never something that was going to. Um, keep him out of the game for a long time. It's just unfortunate the timing of it, but you know he's an integral part of our one-day setup. I know uh, the two completely different forms of the game, but you start with the Test series. But you know the sort of the momentum of recent times. Would you like to see that sort of carried on? Oh, look, we've we've come off our best ever record in Test cricket um, last year. We won five Tests, the first time we've ever done that in the calendar year. So our Test squad's confident. Um, you know, performed well in different conditions. Uh, you know, England in England is always a big challenge and one that, um, you know, guys are very much looking forward to. Mike Hesson talking to Barry Guy. And he's inside edge, this one to the keeper. That also is a good ball. It cut back at him. Looked as though it was the inside edge. And Langer goes. First blood to the West Indies. The unmistakable voice of Richie Benno was silenced on Friday when the cricketing doyen passed away after a battle with skin cancer. He was 84. Benno took up commentary after playing 63 tests for Australia, 28 as captain. The leg-spinning all-rounder took 248 test wickets and scored over 2,000 runs, including three centuries. As a commentator, Benno endeared himself to New Zealand fans in 1981 when Australia's Trevor Chappell infamously bowled underarm to deny the Black Caps a last ball win. Let me just tell you what I think about it. I think it was a disgraceful performance from a captain who got his sums wrong today. And I think it should never be permitted to happen again. We keep reading and hearing that the players are under a lot of pressure and that they're tired and jaded and perhaps their judgment and their skill is blunted. Well, uh, perhaps they might advance that as an excuse for what happened out there today. Not with me, they don't. I think it was a very poor performance. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Good night. A Melbourne-based cricket writer, Gideon Haig, told Checkpoint's Simon Mercip, Benno was the ultimate gentleman broadcaster. Yeah, I was asked, I remember, by, by Wisden in, uh, in 2000 to nominate my five most influential figures in cricket during the 20th century, and Richie was one of mine. Not simply because of his, his cricket or his captaincy, but because of his involvement with the World Series cricket enterprise in 1977, where he was its was its front man and, and one of Kerry Packer's chief advisors and his his eternal appearances summer after summer uh, most of us have been born into a world in which we first heard cricket from Richie Benno's lips so there's a there's an immense sense of loss by the same token it's not a loss of the kind that we experienced at the start of this season, the, the death of Philip Hughes, for which no one could really have been prepared. Here we do actually have an opportunity to celebrate a great life and to retrospect on uh, an enormous contribution to cricket. And as you say, most Australians will know him from his broadcasting. What was it about the way he approached that job that made him such an endearing figure? Several things. He never got in the way of the game. The game always came first for him. Uh, he was not a commentator who drew attention to himself. 
you sort of appreciated his um, his craft and his finesse as a broadcaster after after a while. It was tremendously understated and, and unobtrusive. He was also impartial. It's funny to talk about that in this day and age where commentators are encouraged to be kind of cheerleaders, to, to speak of we and us, and to approximate the enthusiasm of the fan. Uh, Richie belonged to a different broadcasting tradition where the broadcaster was almost performing a kind of a, a sacred trust, had a sort of a quasi-institutional role. You'd never have known, apart from his accent, which country Richie came from. He was a fan chiefly of, of cricket rather than the cricketers from, from any one nation. Actually, it's interesting you say that. I was just now listening back to uh, some famous remarks he made in 1981 at the Melbourne Cricket Ground when the infamous underarm bowling incident took place. There he did uh, let his opinion mm. be known, but he actually severely criticised the Australians that day and yes, said it was right. one of the worst things he'd ever seen done on a cricket field. So he probably endeared himself to a few New Zealanders that day. <laughs> Always look for the New Zealand angle. <laughs> the, um, the curious thing is, though, I can't remember many other um, occasions like that. That stands out in hindsight because it was so rare that Ritchie was actually fiercely critical of some cricketer or some episode that he saw on the field. I think he had an instinctive sympathy for cricketers. You know, he realised that the game was difficult, the game was challenging, that the margin between success and failure was often very fine, and that luck abounded. Luck was a huge influence. In fact, one of his most famous remarks was that a captaincy is 90% luck and 10% skill, although never tried without that 10% skill. <laughs> what about... The extent to which he became something of an icon, you can see images of how younger people try to dress like him, have, wear wigs yeah. like him, I mean, for goodness sake. Yeah, I, I think that attention would have slightly embarrassed Richie. He was a pretty reticent public person. He didn't try to leverage his name or his brand. He didn't have particular catchphrases. People turned things that he said into catchphrases, but he never traded on them himself. There was always a sense that less was more for Richie, which indeed was something that he had on the cricket field. Gideon Hay talking about Richie Benno. That's extra time for this week. You can send your feedback to sport at radionz.co.nz. Thanks for listening. 